0: Welcome to episode 124 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. My name is Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. Saw some breaking news this week, Shane. June 1st. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that? Orion Telescope binocular buys Meade instruments. Yeah,
1: I did. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. I, you know, I think Mead has been like from a financial perspective, um, you know, sort of questionable performance for a little while now. And I think it was, there was speculation whether or not they would just kind of end business or, you know, something like this would happen. So yeah, Yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah. I've kind of, I think they were in some sort of lawsuit together for a long time. (laughs) If I'm remembering, I could be Totally misremember. I know there's some lawsuits going on between the telescope manufacturers, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's a tough business. I think is what it comes down to, and uh, I don't think there's a lot of margins and, and money to be made in in the telescope business, really. To be perfectly frank, as yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, like <clears throat> you know, it's it's either like there's sort of two two paths. I think like you make real high end low production niche telescopes like astrophysics and Takahashi. And, you know, there's yep. a few others out there or, or you do a little more mass produced and, and, um, you know, that's like Orion, Mead, uh, Celestron, not saying that the quality isn't there. Like it's still really good stuff, but, um, it's a much bigger market, much more competitive and, um, yeah, yeah. There's maybe just not enough room for everybody.
0: Yeah, and I saw that uh, June first as well. Moonlight Instruments, that makes uh, uh, like Crayford focusers and that sort of thing, like aftermarket focusers, um, both manually, and, manual and uh, and for astro imaging, uh, have stopped the production of their manual focuser line, which has been in production since mm-hmm. I think I started in astronomy. So I was really surprised about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So then for like third-party focusers, there's really just like what Feather Touch and maybe JMI or well, there's probably a few others, but
0: well, JMI, uh, ended up being sold to Firepoint Astro, like a couple of years ago, I think. Oh, okay. I, d- I don't know that they're back in production making, uh, much of anything, uh, at this point either. So I think there's, um, the Feather Touch, which is technically made by Starlight Instruments, um, and then, um, I think Bader has a steel track and then there's yeah. some, um, that, that have a variety of different branding, like the, the, the one that I bought from a for my, um, 80 millimeter F5, um, comes in, in different sort of makes, makes some models and that sort of thing. And, and the, those ones are decent, but, uh, but yeah, it's unfortunate to see that, uh, that, that a manufacturer has decided to stop making, uh, manual focusers, because simply put, they are selling way more um, to the Astro Imaging crowd, and I see the prices on the Astro Imaging ones are about three or four times that of what the manual ones are, and I, I imagine the work that goes into them isn't uh, isn't that hugely different. But anyway, there, there's there's threads on those on Cloudy nights, I think.
1: Well, and you know the interesting thing with some of these gear makers, like um, uh, there is what Universal. What the heck is your mount name? Like Universal Astronomics yep. or something like that. Yeah, that's um, there's the disc mount. Um, and then there was like the half hitch mounts, I think, you know, a lot of, or even the desert sky mounts, all of this stuff is like individual people that just are making the gear out of their house. Like they have like high end equipment, lathes, whatever it might be yep. uh, to make this stuff. Um, but like, you know, when, when the individual decides that, like in the case of, uh, universal astronomics, um, that, you know, I don't know if he retired or was switching careers, uh, then it was just all of a sudden, yeah. okay, I'm not making it anymore and you can't get it anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think it's sometimes easy to think that all of these, um, manufacturers are like, you know, bigger corporations that just churn out gear. And, and that's not always the case. Some of this stuff is like literally handmade in a garage and then shipped out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I always felt bad about Universal Astronomics. Uh, Larry. I can't remember his last name. Who who runs it? I, I've bought a few things from him over the years, um, and and to be frank, I, I thought he was underpricing his his products. were were um, you know very good, um, good enough that that I think I bought three products from him over the years. And actually, um, as as years went on, I thought that he got better and better. Um, but but I think his pricing actually remained about the same. And, uh, I think the last thing I bought from him was, was the dwarf star mount, which is basically like a pocket alt Mount that can carry upwards of, of seven or eight pounds. So perfect for these small ultralight telescopes, like, like, uh, you know, you and I have for, for when you're traveling, um, man, what did he charge me for it? Like 130 bucks or something. Um, but really, you know, I, I thought the fair, fair market value on it probably was closer to 250 American, maybe. Um, so it's yeah, it's just just kind of unfortunate. Um, you know, when when these smaller retailers uh do end up uh you know having to either scale down or stop production. I actually think he may still make the dwarf stars. Um, or maybe there's another one. There, he might still make one or two, but he had a whole line for a long time. And they're all uh they were all very good. Yeah. I looked through a few of them. And own three.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're very well regarded. Um yeah, and it's like you said, it's just it's too bad. But um you know, if there's something out there that you want, this is almost like astronomy books, like we say, you know, like if there's uh, like one of these mounts that's made by a small producer, if you want it, you know, you should probably buy it because you just, you never know, it may not be there in six months.
0: Yeah, we also have the, uh, the June 10th solar eclipse. I know uh, some of the listeners yeah. have mentioned and, and all of our listeners uh, who mentioned it talked about uh, viewing it, it safely. So you can't look at the sun with the unaided eye. I think it's a partial from uh, from eastern you know, Western Europe, and then um, you know here here in Canada and into Ontario, it's a uh, it, it's a real partial. Like the, you get a pretty good chunk of it in the morning, um, and then in one part you get the full annular eclipse. But there's no part of this eclipse that you can't uh, look at um, without uh, you need, you, need, you must have solar safety gear to look at this uh, solar eclipse. And the reason I underscore this is that, is that uh, when I, I was teaching, you know, I teach uh, an astronomy class, and I had gone through a lot of the safety um, protocols and that sort of thing. And and then I, I was contacted by somebody who said that oh, they were just going to go and look at it. And I was like, so what kind of solar filter do you have? And they're like, I don't have one. I'm like, you, you can't go and look at it without a safety filter. You absolutely mm-hmm. need... Solar safety protection. You will go blind if you if you if you go and start looking at the sun without uh, solar uh, safety filters. So uh, that kind of surprised me. So you know, I, I just want to kind of reiterate that that you need proper solar safety equipment to go and look at this for sure, hundred percent.
1: Yeah, yeah. So proper gear would be a hydrogen alpha telescope or uh, a white light filter, which goes on the objective end of a telescope, and yeah. only use one that's coming from a reputable source like Bader. Um, there's a few others out there. Uh, like I think Kendrick maybe still makes them, uh, and, and they can come in glass or foil, but, um, either are fine. Um, and then the last one is a Herschel wedge, which is a diagonal that would go in the back of your refractor. Um, and it filters out the sunlight things not to use. Uh, don't use welding glass um, that can break and cause no. permanent eye damage. Do not use these uh, screw in sun filters that you can buy off of eBay. They screw into the bottom of the eyepiece. No. Those are really dangerous yeah. and can really, again, you know, cause blindness. Um, only stick with yeah. what we mentioned and, you know, the white light filters, the H yeah. alpha or the wedge
0: from from a reputable dealer, a and, and B um, I think there's, and, and I'm not going to look it up, but there's ISO certification numbers that go with that. And people need to, uh, pe- people need to research it and, and be prepared to, to be safe. And, and if not, don't go looking at the sun. Like you, mm-hmm. if you don't know exactly what you're doing, um, you know, like I'm, I'm a bit of very casual solar observer and, uh, Honestly, my, my preferred way of, of viewing the sun is to go and, and like find Shane or somebody else with one of the hydrogen alpha telescopes or, or like a, like a custom solar telescope, like our friend Rick has. And, and to, to, to go and look through somebody else's telescope. Cause honestly, I just don't do it enough. I pull my solar filter out. I don't know. It's been sitting around for a long time. Maybe it, you know, it's decayed or something. So it's just not worth it
1: not You know, th- there's, there's one other safe way to do it too. And that's projecting the sun. Uh, I don't want to get into the specifics of that, but basically what it is, is, you know, you put an eyepiece in your telescope, um, and then you have a piece of paper or, or something white and you just project the sun, uh, like, you know, as it's coming out the eyepiece onto the paper and then you observe the paper and, um, you know, that can be a real effective, safe way to do it. Um, if that's something that appeals to you, you know, go on YouTube about sun projection or, or, you know, do an internet search on sun projection observing, and and you'll find a number of guides for that too.
0: Yeah. I always remember I I was in grade three and there was a solar eclipse, um, really like close to, to my hometown. Um, we were, we were only like miles off the center track and (laughs) perhaps where I grew up. Um, anyway, (laughs) things weren't as enlightened as they are now. And, uh, and they had us all, um, sit in our classrooms with all the blinds shut and put our heads down on the desk. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I thought, okay. So, so we're not, we're not saying to do that. Um, so anyway, all right. Did you get any observing in this week?
1: I did. Speaking of the sun, I did, uh, some solar observing again. Good stuff. And, uh, It was, it was really good. Like the, um, what was, what was interesting, um, during my solar observing, which was, I think I got out twice. Um, so I'm taking full advantage still of this work from home situation and, and all my coffee breaks and lunch breaks. I'm able to have a a few quick looks, but, um, what was really interesting on, I think Wednesday was, um, uh, the prominence evolution. Like it started the day without very much for prominence activity, but by afternoon, whew, there was quite a few that had grown mm. and appeared, uh, which is quite interesting. And uh, there was a really, well, there was two groups of sunspots. One one sunspot was fairly large. I'm estimating that it's probably about earth size. Um, I'd mm. have to go check like the the NASA scale, but I, I think it's right around there. And, um, you know, a lot of structure, a lot of interesting umbra and penumbra, uh, to observe. And then, um, uh, like right beside it was a bunch of smaller, you know, sunspots. Um, so that was quite neat. Um, you know, and, and maybe just a sidebar to that. You, uh, I'm using with that Burlaback Caster 2 mount, and you'd asked me about the capacity mm. of that a week or two ago. And I'd said it's eight kilograms total, you know, on both sides. Mm. But I'm wrong. If you're just doing one telescope on there, it's eight kilograms. If you're oh. doing two telescopes, you know, or balanced uh, properly, um, you can do 20 kilograms, apparently, which I can't imagine that little mount doing 20 kilos, but um, no. apparently it has some capacity. <laughs>
0: that, that doesn't seem like a good idea. I think, I think you'd be looking at four kilograms aside in that instance,
1: but that's yeah. Just me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but, um, I, I certainly won't test the limits of that. Um, but anyway, that was my solar observing. And then, uh, I had a couple of evening sessions, um, as you know, cause you were inviting me out to do some observing and I declined due to my lack of sleep this week. My, my little dog is, uh, is not allowing me more than four or five hours of sleep a night, which is, uh, I'm starting to add up a little bit, but last Sunday yeah. I was out in the backyard, and let me say those have been that was the best night that I've observed under in quite a while in terms of just overall conditions. Uh, transparency was wonderful, seeing was incredible. Um, I was using the uh, the Takahashi seventy six uh, at f seven point five, and I was up in Lyra and there's a, a fairly famous set of double stars. It's called the Double Double and um what it is is you know it's it's two sets of two uh so the two sets themselves have a pretty wide separation and i think they come in at around magnitude five so they're fairly bright pretty easy to find um and they look almost like two identical pairs two white stars of the same magnitude but when you increase the magnification those two bright stars are actually two tight doubles as well so it's a four star system and um it does take some magnification, and and that those stars, those that are those two doubles, are usually a real good way to test the seeing. Um, you know how easy they are to split. If it, they're easy to split, it's a good night. Well, that night, I couldn't believe it. Um, I was able to split those uh, two stars without any difficulty, and I ran that telescope up to my lowest, like my highest power that I could do without adding a barlow. So my highest power eyepiece is a 2.4 millimeter Vixen HR. And uh, I put that in, which gives me a magnification of 238 times. And it was no problem. Like the view was incredible. Like those stars were just so sharp with perfect diffraction rings. I, I just, you know, I haven't seen anything like that in a long, long time. Um, so anyway, I just kind of panned around the sky, just, you know, taking it all in. I wish the planets were up or I wish the moon was up, uh, something that really, uh, you know, shows well when this, when the conditions are that good. Um, but unfortunately none of that was available. Yeah. And, you know, one more Testament just to how. How good the sky was. Uh, my wife came out and, and she's not an observer. You know, she I was going to casual... say,
0: you know, it's good. You know, it's yeah. good when the significant other comes out.
1: <laughs> well, so she had come out uh, just because it was a beautiful evening as well. Like yeah. The temperature was really nice. And uh, so she came out just to enjoy the the nighttime sky and, and some fresh air. And she commented on, she said, why are, why aren't the stars twinkling at all? And it was just because the night was that good. You know, like the, the stars were just like static points of light. Um, it was incredible. It was a really nice evening. Um, so that was the highlight for sure for me. Um, now I did a a couple of like, you know, I I said, I got out a few times, but the other couple of times is really just taking the dog out to use the bathroom at the end of the night. And uh, just doing some naked eye uh, observing of the sky and just starting to see some of the new constellations rise in the east. You know, Cygnus is on its side, uh, slowly coming up, um, you know, getting getting excited for summer and, and fall observing. And what I like to do on those nights when it's just naked eye is, is look at the constellation and then just think about what I would like to observe within it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why. It's just something I like to do. Mm-hmm. How about you? I, I think you got out a yeah, few got times. Out of-
0: yeah, I got out a few times with Mike. Uh, when you know, one was one was too uh, cold, and one was too hot, and one was just right.
1: Um, <laughs> okay, <of> Goldilocks. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, the first the first night we had a we had a few clouds kicking around. We started the uh, the observing in Ophiuchus um, like like we'd kind of talked about before. I'm writing an article on it, so. Uh, you know, we kind of started going through there and, uh, took a look at all the bright globulars there, like, um, 14 M10 m uh, 12, um, you know, and then just some other, other stuff around, just, just kind of, kind of getting my gear up and running. Cause I haven't really had the, the scope out yet with, with the pillar and the tripod and all this kind of stuff. So I'm kind of working out, um, you know, just, just how good, uh, and bad things, things are, I found funny. A few problems, um, yeah. And we we tried a new observing site, which was uh, it's actually really close to my place. It's only about a fifteen minute drive, and it's uh, it's like around I don't know what it is in the Bortle scale. Everybody talks in the Bortle scale these days, um, but it was it's like a magnitude six site, even even uh, you know during twilight. Um, but it's really open. It's so open. There was there was a, a farmer driving his tractor home for the night, and and we could see it when we were setting up. And it finally sort of drove drove by us, which was still like a few miles away um, at about uh, 12 or so. I guess guess it was almost two hours we could actually see it coming. That's oh, how wow. flat it is out there. Yeah, it was, you know, they weren't driving too fast, maybe like, I don't know, eight or 10 miles an hour or something like that. It's a huge rig with these giant lights on it. It wasn't too bad, except for like maybe the last 10 or 15 minutes, it was like, we had to stop observing because it was like, whoa, and I said to Mike, do you think he's coming? Like, you know, we've been watching this for like so long. Do you think he's like, this is where he's, he's coming? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I actually had that happen once, but, uh, but they, they didn't come where, where we were, we we're on this, uh, this it's like, a it's a road between roads um, and it's very, it was good last month and it's, the road is very rough now. So nobody's driving on that thing unless you have a really good off-road vehicle. So we know that people aren't just going to come creaming down this road. You just, you can't do it. You would, you would bottom out and crash, you know, so, uh, so you kind of have to pick your way along it, but it's, uh, it's not that bad and like vehicles like we have so, um, no problem, but it was great to be able to go and just set up. There's like a spot where they turn the tractors around on this road. And, uh, it's kind of like between the fields and it's just like great spot to set up. There's room for about probably like three or four cars and to pull in. And, uh, you know, cause those combines are pretty big. So anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's where we set up on, on the second night, the third night we went out and we, we just had clouds, but, uh, anyway, on on the second night. Um, I guess it was Thursday night. We saw a uh, whole pile of noctilucent clouds. They were really faint, like a fine network of cobwebs sort of spread over the northwestern sky. It was, it was pretty, pretty cool. And you could actually see, like, kind of like the um, almost like a, I don't know what to say, but like a bright spot where the sun was kind of reflecting straight up in one portion. It was, it was, I think, quite a bit larger than like what the sun would be. And then it kind of faded out on either side. And then that kind of went down. And then we could kind of see it, kind of kick back up again pretty quick, almost due north as the sun kind of made its way around the North Pole, right? So, uh, pretty pretty cool to see that. But uh, on on one of the nights, Mike put M13 in his 12 inch and we had a nice long, nice long look at that. It was uh, was really cool, and we could even see, though he he pointed out this was really hard to see, um, and I wouldn't have picked this up on my own, but we could see this little. Galaxy called NGC two six two zero seven, right beside uh, M um, thirteen. Did you ever see that one?
1: No. When you mentioned that, because uh, you you had told me a little bit about this observation and that mm. you caught this galaxy, I was thinking, well, what galaxy? So I had to go look in Sky Safari, and yeah, I don't I don't remember seeing that um, even in my twelve inch when I had it. I, I don't recall it now. It you know it sounds like it's one of those things that you kind of it helps to know that it's there. So you at least look for it yeah. because it's, it doesn't jump out. at yeah. it. you.
0: Well, it's 11th magnitude, right? So this is, this is getting pretty faint. So yeah. first, first time I ever saw, I'm trying to remember, I, I thought it was a 10 inch. So I, I have a friend who makes telescopes out in Ontario and they're like everything from the optics to the structure. Like even like if he needs like a, like a part, he'll just fabricate his own like part, <laughs> like out of, out of either fiberglass or composite materials and he'll, he'll do some pretty fancy stuff. It's just what he likes to do. And, and they're really neat instruments, but, but thinking on, it, after I looked at it again, like through Mike's 12, I was thinking, that must've been through his 16. Cause I remember mm-hmm. I, I picked it up like right away. Um, the first time I ever saw it, I was just looking at M13 through his scope and I, I knew there was a galaxy there. So I kind of just pulled it over and it was just the, right there. Um, and where we were observing in, in Ontario, you know, Probably about as dark as as where Mike and I were that night. So uh, so anyway, and, and like I said, for that one, I could just through Mike's scope, I can just barely barely see it. But uh, and then another one. This was one from from the list that uh, that I'm working through was six four two six, which is a a little gem of a, a globular cl- cluster up and off of you because it's pretty near Russell Gule, which is in the uh, in the northern part of the constellation, so pretty high up. Um, and that's an eleventh magnitude globular. And man, uh, we were out on a really dark night. It was really good conditions. And uh, I spent so long looking for that. I feel like I spent almost half the night looking for it through my four inch because I didn't put the magnitudes down in my Uh charts. And and so I thought it was going to be like 10th or 9th or something like that and way fainter. And I finally, I got the field and I was like certain I was on the field with my four inch. I kind of thought I could see something, increase the power and still like a little bit of a fuzzy spot, but I mean, boy, I, I couldn't tell if it was just like some really faint background stars. And so Mike uh, got in his, his 12 and then, uh, yeah, it was, it was the same field and even in his 12, like we could barely see it. So it oh, was really? super, yeah, super faint. So,
1: <clears throat> How big is it? Like, is it like a parent size?
0: Uh, I can't remember, but it's, it's a, it's a fair size. It, it's a good size. So that's part of the problem is, yeah. is that, that 11th magnitude is spread out, right? It's not like yeah. you're looking at 11th magnitude star, which pretty easy in a 12 inch.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I was wondering about. If it was large, then yeah, that, that makes it even more challenging.
0: Yeah. And we're still like, we, well, still, we have this perpetual twilight right now. So, so we don't have like, it's not like the sky is a hundred percent dark. So we're kind of battling that a bit. And so you just lose, like you lose that bit of contrast when you're going for like anything that's, that's not going to resolve. So, you know, it's still worth going out, in my opinion, although it's very late. And I guess that's the other thing is we're really not even starting to observe until uh, midnight. Um, So we're kind of tired from the day too. Right. And then, uh, and then staying up, uh, you know, for a couple hours anyway. um, Let's see. Yes. We saw that. And, I looked at a bunch of clusters. I sketched, um, you know, a few clusters there, like uh, the summer beehive, and uh, I forget what the colander one is around. Um, what do we got? Colander 359, which is the uh, Taurus Pontius Tosky region. Oh, and then NGC 6633, which is a cluster I've looked at before. i don't never sketched it before, and uh, that's a neat cluster. I thought that was that was a really neat cluster because um, it's just right above this star. And, uh, I don't know what star it is like a faintish star, but it looks really good in in little binoculars and you can kind of see it with your unaided eye as well.
1: Open cluster or. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a little open cluster up there NGC six, six, three, three. Yeah. Really nice. It kind of, it kind of almost like half wraps around the star. Really, really nice cluster in the four inch though. I mean, the four inch at 18 power was already almost splitting it up too much. Like. Uh, almost a better cluster. Some of these are be- definitely better in binoculars. So, uh, hmm. so we'll see. And then, uh, one of the things I'm doing, I don't know if you ever just looked at stars before, but just kind of going through. So, cause we have so much twilight and just cause they're on my, my list of things to just take a look at anyway, I, I was going around kind of taking a look at the, the brighter stars. So I'm going to look at the 50 brightest stars in the sky just to see what, what their fields look like. Um, you know, like I just kind of made up a bit of a project because we have um, all this twilight, you know, or sometimes like we go out and we set up and then we have a period of time between when we're set up and when we're observing um, because we're just waiting for it to get dark. And this this happens all the time. So during that period of time, I'm looking at these brighter stars. So, so I looked at like um, Rai, which is like the beta star in, in Afyukas, Roxlu, Kappa, Afyukai, Lambda, Yed, um, Zeta and Sibic. Um, and out of all those, though the best one is Yed Um Posterior, um, which is down on the bottom, <laughs> bottom right. And uh that is a really nice star field around hmm. that, that star. That was by far the the best one. And then another interesting star that we looked at was V Afiuki. Um, which is right beside, like in the same field as Messier 107. That well, okay. uh, that that's definitely those were sort of the highlights, um, you know, of, of what we were uh, of what we were looking at there. So
1: cool. So have you observed all of the objects that you wanted to for your article?
0: No, I'm you know I'm guess? trying to do 47, and so out of that, I guess I've done, I don't know, maybe maybe 14 or something, 13 or so,
1: 14 this week. So 47 objects analficus? Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. That's the that's the that's the plan anyway. I should should be able to to get through them. So um was having some equipment trouble actually. So I can get into that too.
1: Yeah, you were saying your your AZ GTI mount was kind of acting up and giving you some grief.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was really weird. So we went out on Sunday. And I've used this mount almost for a year. So we go down Sunday and uh, it was almost like it was st- like the app was stuck in some sort of sub menu. And so I could only get it. And, and finally like the connect option came up and said, you know, track an alt as I'm like, yeah, do that. And then, and then it track, like, and it was tracking no problem. So I was like, oh, I'll just figure it out. I must've like gotten to you. It must've like updated it or it's like the app got messed up or something. So I'll just download a new app when I, you know, when I get home and then I, uh, I don't know. I, I can't remember whether I did it or didn't do it, but, uh, but, you know, it tracked fine that night. I couldn't, I don't use any of the go to stuff with it anyway. So as long as it tracks, like, I don't care. Like, I wish there was a button that I could just press that says, track the sky, you know, and as long as I keep stuff in the field for 20 minutes, that's it. I'm, I'm, that's all I need. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's basically the way this, this was working. So I was fine, didn't care. And then um, the next night we went out um it it either it was seemed like it was having trouble connecting to the wi- the Wi-Fi on the mount. So you have your your app and your phone and then you you turn the Wi-Fi um, on by connecting to to the Wi-Fi or the Wi-Fi is on when you turn the mount on, but then you have to connect to the Wi-Fi through your settings and then you connect to uh, to the to the mount inside um, the app itself for for the uh, for the synScan um, pro version of of the, uh, of the skywatcher mount anyway. And, and so I can't remember, it seemed like it was having trouble connecting. And then when it connected, nothing seemed to happen. Like it wasn't tracking and I, I couldn't use the hand paddle. Like I like, there's like toggle buttons. So I was like, Oh, that's weird. Well, maybe the batteries are dead. Cause I've had the batteries in there for a long time. So then uh, I observed and, you know, I, there's some things I want to observe at high power, but high power was kind of out for that night anyway, cause we had a lot of wind, but I went and, uh, I download I deleted the app, I downloaded the app and what else did I do? I swapped, I took the batteries out and I plugged it into the wall because I, I have a like an AC DC adapter, whatever it's called. And, uh, and same thing. But I could hear that like, the, the gears seemed to be turning, but they weren't engaging. like they weren't turning the altitude or a Zenith, um parts of the mount to actually like hmm. you know, move a telescope around the sky. And so I thought, oh, geez, like I've messed the or messed out or the mess, the mount up, just like, I don't know, maybe driving on the roads or whatever. That's not that rough. And I'm, I'm fairly slow driver and I have these big rubber tires on for driving on these bad roads. So don't really get knocked around that much. And I've got it in a padded case. So, you know, it's, it's not just like, uh, you know, sitting in a car that's going over rough roads. It's not designed for it anyway. So, yeah, you know, I was kind of disappointed. I thought, man, Try a few different things, still same thing. So I took out, I bought a hand paddle that I've never really used. So I plugged the hand paddle in and that just worked fine. So I was like, what the frig?
1: Hmm.
0: So it's something with, I don't know whether it's something with the mount or something with the app, but I was able to, to take the uh, hand paddle out with me on Friday night and it was broken cloud and you couldn't really observe much. Um, I didn't really look at anything, but I could see like some of the brightest stars. So what I did is I just, uh, I just got the hand paddle lined up and it would go to and everything. And that was fine. Um, so I don't know, something, something is definitely uh, wrong with the app, but somebody suggested that there's, a, there might be a problem with a new version of the firmware or, mm-hmm. but I, I haven't updated the firmware. I would, I would have thought I would have had to update the firmware, but I don't know, maybe it did it automatically. Who knows?
1: Well, usually with those mounts, like the firmware is uh, like, you have to hardwire in and um you know, sometimes there's a serial cable that you connect to your laptop or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, you you know, you flash the firmware that way. I'm not sure if that if yours can be done over the air, like, you know, Don't if out. the phone can push it, but Just it would manually. make sense that maybe like if the app updated and now it needs a, a newer firmware on the other end of it.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. Because now when I connect on the app, it says, are you using it in Altaz or Altazemuth or equatorial mode? I never had that before. Or or maybe maybe I messed it up by clicking something in inside that sub menu that I end up in somehow. But regardless, when I deleted the app and then downloaded it again, I would have thought that you know I should have been reset to the original position. So didn't <laughs> seem to work. Yeah, um, but I always wanted to get the hand paddle working, so I get that working. Well, that's good. Yeah, so that that is good. Um, And really what I want is I just need the tracking for sketching at high power. So yeah, I I sketch the open clusters that I can do at 18 power. And like I'm fine sketching up to probably about maybe 75 power. So I I can do quite a bit. Um, I can probably do like two thirds of what I want to do even without any kind of tracking ability. Uh, But just when I get into some of the globular clusters where I kind of want to run like, I might want to run up to like 200 power on the four inch. Um, Like I'm definitely going to (laughs) need I'm definitely going to need uh, need the tracking for that. So, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So let's see what else. Yeah, I got some. I got some some gear coming. This isn't really exciting gear.
1: <laughs> so what do you have?
0: So I got uh, I have a field flattener for my 80 millimeter, mm-hmm. and I've never been able to get it work properly. And I also want to use it for my Borg 50, which I'll talk about in a second. I get that up and running. And uh, I just needed some extensions um, just just to play around with it a bit more. And uh, so I was able to find some of those on uh, Amazon for like 30 bucks. So those are coming. And then I ordered, um, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, the uh, Southern Sky Gems by Stephen James. And part of his Deep Sky Companion series. It's the only one in that series I I don't have. I'm rereading the Caldwell objects and and kind of re-remembering the things that I didn't like about it. And yeah. Yeah. And the objects that the, the good objects are good objects. And then, yeah, there's kind of like, like a lot of Phoenix galaxies, you know, and you know, like there's, there's like a, like a galaxy cluster up there in coma Borealis. And it's just like, yeah. I mean, even like Omiro, this four inch is kind of saying, yeah, this is kind of not, not the greatest, but, but in this book, so I bought the updated version of Kalwa objects, which I'm like, I said, which I'm reading. Um, and he did um, re-edit it. And it's, a, it's definitely a better read. This one is definitely a better read than the first one because, um, well, he's added in some some more up to date information, which makes it a little bit more interesting. And then, as well, he uses other people's observations, like um, uh, Magna Stryker, who's an observer from, uh, I think, originally from Europe or Portugal or somewhere, and now lives in South Africa. Um, and so her observations are, are throughout it. Same with Barbara Wilson. And who else? There's somebody else. And then one person I know who's a good observer from Canada, Alistair Ling, some of his observations are are in there too. So so he kind of fills in some of that stuff. So and things that are kind of faint for a four-inch, um, he'll kick in with people's observations with like eight uh, and, and twelve inch and larger instruments. So so yeah, it, it's a little bit better, but it kind of goes to say, like when you're when you're looking at Um, his books, which typically focus on what you can see with like a four or maybe a five inch telescope um, and his sketches of those objects. Well, you know, with the Caldwell objects, he he, even, you know, the great Stephen O'Meara is like, oh, well, these are kind of feet in a four inch, right? Mm -hmm. So, so really they're just within, they're just within, uh, just within grasp. So, and I noticed like, yeah, a lot of them are like getting into like that 11th magnitude area, which um, yeah, I can see that with my four inch too, but Like if I was making a list and so my, the the stuff that I'm working on is it's not really my, my list. It's just um, part of um, what's in the RASC observers handbook that that I'm sort of working on. Um, So I'm not really selecting those objects. I'm just looking at them all and then I determine which ones I'll put in my article, but um, like probably I'm not going to put in the really faint, hard to see ones that are really faint and hard to see. in like even a 12 inch telescope, because there's so many objects like 47 to observe. Why would I put that one in? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I kind of still want to see them, but at at the same time, like, you know, if, if I'm putting that in the article and people are saying, well, Chris observes the four inch, so it must be visible in a four inch and then go try to see it in in most parts in Canada. No, that that's not happening. You're just not going to see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Um, and I bought a book. I've been waiting to buy this book for a long time. And that's uh, Mercury by Ian uh, e. Antoniati and Patrick Moore, which is, it's a, it's a vintage book. Uh-huh. And I'm really hoping this one's good quality because usually it comes with a big disclaimer. So I've been looking it, it and it's always for sale. Like you can find it. It's not that it's not rare. It's just old. Um, and usually it has a disclaimer about mildew. And I'm not sure why this book would be such a mildew magnet, but it seems to be, um, but, uh, but there was one that came up from Germany you know, it's like $40 American. This is not like a break in the bank kind of book and, um, uh, no mention of mildew. And it, it looks like a pretty clean copy. So fingers crossed that's, uh, that's going to come in July. And then this book's coming this week. Um, finally, I always wanted to buy this book for a long time, but it's, it's a little bit expensive, uh, especially for a paperback, $63, I think Canadian. And it's Bill Paloni's uh, book on choosing eyepieces. So uh, oh. I kind of wanted to get that. So I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to get it kind of doing some more reading this summer anyway, sitting on the deck and just, just enjoying uh, the nice weather we've been having. So um, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to buy that book. Um, you know, <laughs> the typically some, some of the Springer books, like you sort of, no offense to anybody, but some of them are just like um, better than others. I mean, and I shouldn't say mm-hmm. that some of them are really, really good. And and some of them aren't, aren't ones that I would necessarily uh, buy again if I was to do that. that that's just my own personal opinion. Um, but, for example, the one on sketching is phenomenal. It's, it's an amazing book on sketching by oh, what's his name? Handy. And and uh, anyway, a pile of uh, other other sketches, Erica Ricks, uh, as well as in there. Um, and I kind of think probably bills is in that same league because I noticed that the ones that are really good go for around 60 or so dollars. And the ones that, that aren't as good are, are much less expensive, but there are, there are some good ones, um, and some not so good ones. Um, you know, and and that's, that's just power for the course when you're, when you're talking about so many, so many different texts. So,
1: so, yeah, yeah. the, there's one um observing and measuring double stars that is pretty darn good i, I like that one but the the one that you just ordered bill payloni's one uh i've been also very intrigued by that book and uh for the same reasons i i haven't purchased it just because i've had other books on my wish list that i guess maybe out prioritized it but at some point i'll probably buy that one as well
0: yeah yeah no, no, i'll i'll take a look and kind of give you give you my uh my my review of it but i i kind of expect good things like um, I enjoy reading Bill's posts on Clyde nights. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really well-respected. He's very thorough. Um, you know, I think, I think he actually like, unlike s- some individuals, he's actually a pretty good writer, um, and sort of an engaging person. And so, uh, yeah, I'm kind of interested in that. I, I've kind of heard him speak and that I think he's taking a break from Clyde nights right now from what I've been able to gather, but, uh, uh, any, anyhow, so I look, I look forward to getting, uh, that book, but, uh, but yeah, what else? I got the Borg running, the mini, mini, mini Borg.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You sent me a picture and uh, it looks pretty cool. I like the setup and and I'm kind of curious to see how you like it out in the field now.
0: Yeah, I haven't had it out. So I got the, you know, I, I had, I bought the 50 millimeter lens from, from you. Um, and your, your, your surplus where Shane's surplus warehouse of astronomical oddities. Um,
1: yeah, I, I, I'm actually a vendor now.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought, you know, I like all kidding aside, I thought you're going to, you're going to end up with like that vendor thing. Cause I know some people do, um, end up with that vendor. Um, um, I don't know, whatever you call it, the little yellow thing that's on, that's on people's uh, names on cloudy nights, but I, I see you're going that path, like all joking aside. Um, and then you, you, you also provide it with that, some, uh, adapters and that sort of thing. So, um, what I've done is this, I've made sort of two little telescopes out of it. One is a finder scope that goes on my hundred millimeter. And so I was using that now. I really like using it as a finder. It works really good, except that I couldn't get it lined up. Could not get that to actually align with the telescope because when it's in the little finder bracket, it's there's just not quite enough room. There's there's not enough room for two things. One, um, um, right at the where where the eyepiece will focus I'm right at the bottomed out part of that sliding focuser tube thingy. And uh because of that, it uh yeah, it, it creates a challenge. Like it's never good to be right at the end of focus in any direction. Um, that could be problematic. So I think like, as, as I'm trying to adjust it, it's kind of like knocking that out of focus. So as I try to bring it back into focus, I'm like taking it the other way because, cause you know, those things are just not going to be perfect. Nothing's perfectly square. You know, these aren't really that precision parts. Um, and yeah, because of that, it's, it's not able to focus when I'm getting it closer to alignment with the telescope. So I think if I'm going to use that combination, I'm probably going to need that shorter adapter. I think there's a shorter adapter. I think you might have one, but I don't know if you're still using that or what. Um, but when it was on, when, when I've had it on the scope and I've had it on the scope three nights now using it, I really, really like, I like how it looks. Not that that's that important, but it looks super cool sitting there. And then the performance on it is, is amazing. Like I bought the 32 millimeter GSO generic, most generic plossel you can get. And I got to say, Shane, this is, this is the best 32 millimeter Plossel I've used. And I've used a lot of 32 millimeter Plossels over the years. Some of them I've owned, some of them other people have owned. I've never been a fan. And this one I really like, and I think I paid $27 for it. <laughs> wow.
1: Well, you know, I, I've uh, similar. I've looked through a few 32 millimeters and I've always found the eye placement a little picky, um, b- yeah. usually because I think the eye relief is huge. And, yeah. um, you know, if this one works better, that's good to know. I might give that a try.
0: I, I think Agena may have had uh, Gina Astro, which is where I bought it. Um, and I buy a lot of my gear from them. They're really good. I really like Agena. Um, and, uh, and, <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, that, that eyepiece, if someone's looking for a 32 millimeter, um, I think that's the best one. It sort of maxes out the one and a quarter, uh, inch format. It, it's just under seeing, I think this is what they did instead of trying to push the design to give like 52 degrees or 50, de- which a lot of them do, um, in that 32 millimeter size, they went with what worked versus trying to get that last few degrees, which ends up being lost anyway, because of eye positioning or distortion or something. So Mm -hmm. instead of trying to maximize something that's really hard to do, they end up, um, this is just my own personal opinion. I don't know what they did. Maybe they just got lucky. Um, but they, they end up trying to just maximize, um, lightweight and usability and they, they nailed it. I think, I don't think there's, there's a better, um, you know, sort of maximum one and quarter inch. At least thirty-two. Now, somebody might view this different, or have a different experience, or whatever. But considering, like, I just have it in that finder scope, it's giving me eight power, and it's it's just a, a beautiful little eyepiece and a great combination because it's light, and you're trying to keep um, things light on your finder scope because it, it's difficult to balance on a telescope. And then uh, the performance, easy to use, and I think it's sharp to the edge. So, of an f-five achromatic refractor, uh, you know that that's pretty good. Yeah, good yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I can't wait to have a view through that. Yeah. um, Yeah. I'd like to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of finders, Chris, I think I have a new one on the way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I don't know if I really got it yet. Um, It's kind of a weird thing. So on our, our, our site by EE, where we spend a lot of time browsing, um, there a, a Takahashi six by 30 finder with the bracket, um, that is in the foam oh, blue. Wow. So it matches, you know, the, the, the tack color that you and I have. And, um, I've always been intrigued by the tack finders. Like they have, they're, they're supposed to have really, really good visual quality, just like a tack telescope. Um, but the price of them is in my mind, kind of ridiculous. Like, um, I think this thing retails for two or 300 American, I think. Like yeah. you can buy a, a great performing telescope for less than that. Um, so I was never really, you know, seriously considering uh, one of these finders. But anyway, one came up on by EE at a really, really good price. Um, it's unused. So I thought, well, I'll f- I'll float out a low ball bid. And if I get it, great. And if I don't, it doesn't matter to me because I'm not, you know, I'm not super interested in it, but, um, you know, wouldn't mind trying it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I put in a sniper bid, um, and I got the email that uh, it was unsuccessful. So no harm, no foul. Uh, I wasn't too heartbroken, but then later this morning, uh, the transaction went through, saying I did win it. So I'm not sure if mm. the original winner didn't, you know, have the funds, or if they backed out, or or what, um, or if by EE just made a mistake, and I, you know, will get a refund because I didn't actually win it. I'm I'm not sure. So <laughs> so we'll see. Huh. Well, that's, but anyway, that should be, that should be it, pretty. It, yeah, like it's a six by 30 finder. So it's small, it's light. It's ideal for like the 76 millimeter tack that I have. And it provides a seven and a half degree field of view. Uh, it has the crosshair, you know, reticle in there. Um, the, the only downside to it to me is that it is a straight through finder, which in the past, like depending on the orientation can be a little uncomfortable to look through. Um, so we'll see how it all works. Assuming I get this thing, we'll see how it works and how much I like it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Huh. That is very interesting. Yeah. I'll be curious to see. So, so yeah, you're not going to try to turn your, yeah, I've not convinced you to turn your Borg 50 into your ultimate finder.
1: Well, I I still might. Um, like I bought that 45 degree MEC prism, uh, which uh, I can't get to focus yet, but Um, my, my issue, like I want to put that on my little 76 millimeter tack, although I guess I could use it on other telescopes. It's just too much weight on the 76. Like I, I don't have enough moment arm to really balance that well, unless maybe I put in the Q extender, I guess that might help. Um, so that, that project is sort of on the back burner for now. Um, I may, I may still go down that path because I do like the intent that you're going for, you know, to create a right image uh, wide field view of the sky so that it can you know match up with your star chart and uh, yeah. you know help you find some objects that that makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. Um, so it's just a matter of uh, I guess seeing I, I you know seeing how yours turns out and and then I might go from there. I don't know
0: um, yeah, it's so first of all it it does look really cool so far and and in in use in the field, um, like for example, if it's stuff that I've already seen before I can get it, it's fine. But like I said, I can't quite get it aligned um, yet. I think I might might have a way. But then um, I won that that bid on the old. It's the oldest two inch helical from Borg. Um, whatever it is, the seventy eight
1: sixty two or something.
0: Yeah, it's like a weird one. Which is yours? Is yours the seventy eight sixty or sixty one?
1: Sixty one.
0: Yeah. So mine's the sixty. It's the one less oh, than yours. Okay. And and so it's it's. Like a few ounces lighter. So it's a little lighter than yours, and it has one more millimeter of extension. Um anyway, the quality apparently isn't quite as good, but I wasn't that concerned about it. And then so I was waiting for a focuser to come up for like weeks in order to kind of get this this see if I can get this scope running. And so I bought that. And then of course, now today there's like I think 10 focusers on there, but they're they're all more or less about the same price as, as what I paid for this one. So Um, doesn't matter. And I think this one's going to work really, really well in in two-inch format. And then, so one of the things I originally had tried to do was to get it to work in an old Stellar View finder bracket I had for my university optics, Mm. um, right angle, correct image, 80 millimeter or 50 millimeter um, finder scope. Uh, But I couldn't quite get it. But anyway, I played around with it um, yesterday and again this morning and I was able to get it Um, in there and working by and this was like such a fluky thing like I'm sure if I was mechanically inclined I might have realized this but what I ended up doing was if I if I took the um, new focuser and I threaded the lens assembly onto that and then I threaded that onto the 60 millimeter tube that I got from you um, and then what did what did I have to do oh then if I put it in the in the bracket, um, I had to put, let's see, the t- the 20-millimeter extension in. But the way that I had to sit it was it kind of sat back and, and sticking out so that I could kind of get purchase for the set screws to actually clamp onto the diagonal. But when I did that, I had to focus out the focuser Adding about, I think, twenty or thirty millimeters out of the whatever it is. I think there's thirty-eight millimeters of focus in it. So I was about fifteen millimeters out of focus from where my eyepieces would come to focus. Mm. And then I was looking at it. And I thought, "Huh. Well, I wonder if I could if I could take those set screws out of the um, out of that twenty millimeter adapter and and push that ahead. Then I could crank the focus back. So I would go ahead, maybe." That was 15 millimeters or so that, that I was out. And by doing that, actually I I bumped up onto the um the 60 millimeter adapter. So I could actually focus in the helical all the way and gain back all of that out focus that I had lost. And so I went and I kind of rearranged it. And then I had trouble, I got it all set and then I had trouble getting the two inch diagonal in and I was like what the frig? how is like, I've had this in the scope before, like it fits. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that just coincidentally, you know how you have like the three um, screws that go, go into a finder scope bracket on mm-hmm. those two brackets. Anyway, one of them had actually gone through the um, the set screw screw hole and it was the right thread fitting. So mm-hmm. I could actually use the finder scope bracket Um adjustment screw actually to, to hold the diagonal in there. So without, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. It was just, it was just like coincidental that I end up getting it in that way. Probably somebody, if they knew what they were doing, might've even just tried that, but that means that, that I get all of that focus back. And, uh, and so now I got uh, the ability to focus all of my, my two inch eyepieces in there in a finder scope bracket. So I should be able to switch back and forth with that arrangement and put it on the telescope with one and a quarter inch stuff for when I'm just using it as a finder, and then I should be able to flip back and and hopefully be able to figure out a way to mount it on a dovetail rail for uh, for using as as a standalone spotting scope in two inch format. So, pretty excited about the possibilities with this because when I've had it working, even when it was not aligned with the telescope but in focus, um, it was really cool to be able to scan around the sky with a seven degree field when I had like a higher power eyepiece in, uh, looking for, you know, fainter objects through, through the four inch. So anyway, that's, that's kind of the setup I want. And I'm not sure if it makes any sense, but you can tweet out that, that picture of this, uh, of this monster, uh, 50 millimeter finder that, that I've mocked up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I will. I will. Um, I know we're running close to time here, but, yeah. um, I just wanted to ask you, uh, so I got, I, I, I quite well, I think I'll be getting this book, assuming this guy follows through on the transaction. It's a an out of print book, Visual Astronomy of the Deep Sky by Roger Clark.
0: Yes, is I familiar? have that book.
1: Is it uh, is it a good one?
0: It's okay. It's okay. okay. So there's some yeah, it's it's a little bit controversial. So he oh. talks about this business of um, contrast and the dark sky. And, and he's a huge fan of using like an eight inch F-15 Cassegrain. Mm. And now there, there's some really good sections in there on, on observing and objects to observe. It's, it's not the way that I observe. So I kind of, you know, and and that's just his own personal take, right? So, you know, and I I know like in this podcast, you get a lot of, a lot of my own personal take on observing and, uh, and he certainly has his own, own position on, on those things as well and probably like three quarters of it i agree with and and some of it i you know i'm like well you know i, I don't think you necessarily need to observe with you know like an f-15 um instrument in order to gain um all, all the contrast in the world right mm. um i think that's possible with uh, with smaller and faster instruments um you know But, you know, but that's just his opinion. That's that's my opinion. Um, In practicality, I think that uh, lugging around long focal length instruments is is just not that practical. A and and B, you don't get the wide field of views, which I personally love. Um, So you're not going to you're not going to get that in the book. The book's a little bit old. He has a website. Um, It's an interesting read, though. Yeah, it's interesting. So so, yeah. But uh, I know that book can go for, a, I hope you didn't pay too much for it. Cause that, that, the, the book can go for a lot of money. And honestly, I think it's probably worth like 30 bucks or 40 bucks maybe, but I know sometimes I've seen it go for a lot more than that. And I just don't think it's worth it. I think it's, it's worth yeah, 30 yeah. bucks in the library, but
1: yeah. Um, I got it for 65. So way more than yeah, what you're little. suggesting, but yeah, um, on, on Amazon, it's like 750. It's a, like ridiculous, you know, like, and I never really trust those Amazon prices because people can post no. things for whatever they want. But, um, yeah, um, anyway, I, I don't know if he's going to follow through because, uh, he, he like, he agreed to it. And then he emailed me saying some of the pages have sort of like a slight wave to it, like along the top of the book. So he was going to apply some weight overnight to see if it straightened out. And uh, so I don't know what the status is.
0: Well, yeah. And, and so, and, and you'll notice this and I don't know why, but there's the, the book is, is not the best quality. Like, it's just Mm. not like my, my book is kind of like that too. Um, yeah. So, so again, that's why, so it's an older book. So there's a dating issue um, there's a certain observing style. Like, yeah, like it's, it's really interesting, like to read, like he's, he's a, a very technical writer. He's got a good bit on there on contrast and dark skies. Um, and just like his own, op- own opinion on observing, um, you know, re- really faint things. So, so yeah, that, that's interesting, but if you don't get it, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm happy to lend you my book for as long as, as you would care to read it. Because it's not like a cornerstone book in my library, which I thought it might be, but uh, Mm. it's just not. It's just not. But anyway, um, so keep that in mind. I'd be happy with that, and then maybe I can get a discount on on some of your adapters. All right, we should wrap (laughs) this up.
1: (laughs) Sounds good, Chris.
0: All right, well, I got to get back to the main uh, page here, and uh, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for the Shane, and thanks everybody for listening. And uh, yeah,
1: thank you, thank you everyone for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.